Thank you for tuning in to the Educational Leadership Podcast. We are meeting with educational leaders from around the great state of Texas. Hear their stories and gain insights into educational leadership. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining another episode of the Educational Leadership Podcast. We have another very special guest, but before we introduce our guest, I want to give a shout out to our co-host, Corinne French. I'm so glad we're here today. I can't wait for this interview. Yeah, so excited. And we want to give a shout out to our sponsor before we start, Ideal Impact. Ideal Impact is giving hundreds of millions of dollars in funding to public education around the great state of Texas. $700 million, I think they're at now, with over 187 districts in Texas. So if your district needs unrestricted funds that doesn't involve taxpayers or the government, reach out to Ideal Impact. And now we will start with our interview. We have Mr. Martin from Hallsville ISD, who's actually an Aggie. So those are always exciting guests for those Aggies out there. Mr. Martin, thank you for joining us today. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. Uh, a great pronunciation on the Hallsville. And always the good plug for the Texas A&M, the only Texas A&M university there is. Thank you for that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, Corinne loves this. Okay. Yes. So before we get into the interview, if you can tell us a little bit about your background in okay. public education. My background, background is I'm a 1987 graduate uh, right here in Hallsville ISD. Uh, from, from here, uh, left and went to, to uh, God's country, that College Station, Texas, Texas A&M University. Went down on a football scholarship uh, where I've got my undergrad. Uh, from there, um, didn't know I wanted to be in the school business. I thought I wanted to be in something different. Decided very quickly that I wanted to coach. Went back, got a certification to teach. I was still a studies teacher and a coach for about 10 years. Been in administration for the last 13. Uh, been all kind of around the state, coaching, administrative-wise, but have been back home here in Hallsville, Texas, uh, for the last 16 years. So Awesome. Did I catch that you were on the Aggie football team? Uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Oh, my awesome. gosh. Reported for duty uh, in, in 1987, summer of 87. Uh, had, had some ligament issues in my knees that had different ideas, uh, but uh, did did three years on the Aggie, uh, fighting Texas Aggie football team, and uh, kind of the rest is history. So. That's so cool. I, I was in the Aggie band, so I'm a big Big supporter. Okay. Okay. Sorry, we, we won't get go too far off on an Aggie. Oh no, we can here. go ahead. We can go ahead and just take a minute here because uh, I am. I'm feeling like the last couple guests were Aggies, and it doesn't seem to matter that I'm working on my doctorate uh, in educational leadership. If I don't have Aggie on my resume somewhere, uh, I think I'm just I'm I'm not part of this club. So we might have to have a conversation later, John, about maybe I get a certificate or something from AM so I can be part of this club, but. I love the part of your story that you you said you didn't start out thinking you wanted to be in education. What was something that happened that made you decide that? And can you can you share a little bit about that story with us? Well, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> graduated with my undergrad, Texas A&M, went into an internship and then a job at Stephen F. Austin State University. I was working in the sports information department. Well, obviously, that the offices at the time were around the stadium. And so I could always peer out my window and see the football practice going on and the coaching and the players. And it, finally, one day I was like, wait a minute, I'm on the wrong side of this glass. Mm -hmm. I want to be on the other side. I want to be helping kids, training kids, coaching kids, teaching kids. And so that's kind of what drove me to go back, get my certification in social studies, and then uh, start working in public schools. Mm -hmm. I love cool. that. 
Uh, so I'm gonna ask one more question and then I'll go. Okay. Okay, so it's been a tough couple of years. Uh, global pandemic, all kinds of things have happened in public ed. Lots of people are leaving public ed. Lots of people are coming to the field too. I feel like we've got uh, teachers coming to the field and uh, I work in the university and I, I feel like there are students who are deciding to go into the field because they know that it's gonna make a difference with students. And so what's something that's keeping you going right now? Um, me personally is is the the interaction and and as you as you as I've gone through my career, obviously I was high school principal here in Hallsville for seven years. Uh, there's all kinds of interaction with kids at that point. When you get into the central administration field, uh, assistant soup, even to the soup, you've got to be very prescriptive about making time to go see those kids because, as you can imagine, there's a lot of other headaches and a lot of other things going on. Uh, but it's if I was narrow narrow it down to to one item, it would be interaction with the kids. Interaction with the kids is to me priceless. Um, uh, for one reason, you never know what kids are going to say, and for two, there's nothing there's nothing boring whatsoever about working with young people. Mm -hmm. Every day is a different challenge. Every day is something new. So that's what keeps me going every day. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Yeah. So. There is a lot going on in public ed um, and looking looking into the future. Uh, and I always talk about innovation. What what are some things from an innovation standpoint that maybe your your district is doing to kind of move the needle a little bit? Uh, <clears throat> well, I, I could go all day on this one, Gary. Uh, um, one of the things is, and let me kind of hit on the the teacher shortages that Green was talking about, and, and that is absolutely correct what she said. And I think the second part of her statement was there, there's other there's young people that are going back into the field. One of the things we do here is we, we call it you grow your own, build your own. We've got several titles for it. And it's our high school kids. It's predominantly your sophomore, junior, senior year. They will get in the, the ready, set, teach model. They'll get in the teacher education planning. And those are the kids that you, you want to see in about three and a half years once they graduate with certification. So I will meet with those kids every year, every fall. And, and basically, I go through the whole gamut. And here's what I tell them. I say, look, can, can you go into a different career and make more money? Absolutely. Absolutely. But if you break it down this way, if you're a teacher, predominantly teachers work about 187 days a year. And so if you're going to go into a different field, you're not going to work 187 days. You're going to work close to 260. And so if you break it down by the days, what the differences in pay are, it gets that it gets that gap a lot closer. And the other thing I tell our, our homegrown kids that we're sending out to colleges to get certified is call me, call my HR department when you when you start your last cycle year. Make sure we know what your cert is, this, that, and the other. And I pretty much can guarantee them three years before they can have a job when they get out of school. That's one of the things grow your own is, is we're very passionate about that. We've been passionate about that for a long time. The teacher shortage has really exemplified that and, and sped up the pace, if you might say. I love that. The, the idea that you you said prescriptive. So you're intentional with your time to see them. Uh, we had Dr. Bobby Ott on a few months of like last month and, and um, he mentioned that. And I think that's so important for our listeners and for anyone in any kind of leadership position to hear that you have to be intentional with the time that makes the rest of your day worth it. You know, when you just stare at the computer all day, it's really hard to see the value of what your work is doing. But when you get there and you're like you said, you never know what a student is going to say mm -hmm. and you never know what they're going through. 
And so I love that you meant you are very intentional with that time with them. And then I also love that you're saying that you talk to them. Oh my gosh. I mean, that's, you're not, you're not putting that responsibility on anyone else. So what are some, um, what are there, is there a fun story or some kind of a success story of one of those students that you'd love to share with us? Cause I think this is also very powerful when we hear what, like we can put a name and if not necessarily a specific name, but we can put a real story to it of a student that's come back and is teaching in your district now. Oh yeah, we 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 have roughly about 760 employees now. That's total in the district. Of those 760, roughly about 350, 375, maybe 400 are teacher certified teachers. Uh, I would say at this point, and because we do this every year at the beginning of the year at our convocation ceremony. Uh, we'll have them all in the auditorium, and, and I will always ask them, if you graduated from Hallsville High School, please stand up. It's always more than a third of our staff. So mm-hmm. we we have always done that because we've always had te- uh, folks that go through college and, and want to be teachers. They, they understand things how they are here because they went through that. They want to come back and give back. So I, I guess one of the, the most unique stories is uh, when I came through in 87 and then for the last 16 years, I've been back. Well, there was a little bit of time that expired between my graduation of high school and coming back. There were still quite a few teachers that taught me when I came back. So that was a little bit unique and kind of cool. Uh, another story, just briefly, is um, nothing like walking in. If you've been somewhere a long time, you, you tend to see this. Nothing like walking into a brand new doctor's office, looking at the doctor and going, holy smokes, I remember when you were a sophomore. That's a little bit unsettling, but then you think, wait a minute, mm-hmm. this is a smart kid. They've done what they needed to do. So I've, I've started to see that because like I say, I've been in this a long time. You start to see these different fields. I see kids all the time that have graduated two or three years ago that are out working with their hands. They're in the, the skilled labor areas and they're doing a lot of things. We just built a brand new elementary, just opened it up uh, January the 5th. I saw probably about a dozen kids that I had known prior. That we're working mm. skilled labor jobs out there. So it's great to see the whole circle come together, uh, the mm. circle of life, as you call it. But mm-hmm. And so what I tell, what I normally tell them is I, I said, you know, <clears throat> you're going to go on and do what you do and what you're happy with and what you're excited about. But just remember, you need to do the very best you possibly can. And the last thing I always tell them before they graduate, the day before graduation, is never quit a job until you have a job. And they look at you funny. And I say, what I mean by that is don't just fly off the handle, quit a job because you're always going to be mad at somebody over you. That's just life. Don't quit a job until you've done your homework, set up another job, given your notice, and then go, go on about your business. So just a few things I try to give a little bit of insight. Uh, the other one is the real world. When you get out of high school, will kick you smooth in the face. <laughs> Nobody's going to be there to baby you. Nobody's going to be there to take up for you. You've got it. That's part of adulthood. You've got to prepare yourself for when that happens. Love it. Yeah, I love those life skills because it seems like, I mean, depending on who you talk to, that that's not not always shared, right? And and a lot of the students aren't getting that from home. Um, yeah, I mean, I can think of somebody right off the top of my head, you know, a, a younger gentleman right out of school. He wanted to quit his job, has a family because he was upset with his boss. And you know, what 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 do you do in that situation, right? You're just going to quit your job and, and be in a situation where you can't provide for your family. Um, well, so it's it's a t- testament to your community, I think, right? So the community there, the fact that everybody's staying in the community, for, you know, working for the district, working at the local doctor office, it's just, um, that, that's pretty impressive. 
T tell us a little bit more about that. What, what's the community like in Hallsville? Okay, so I'll, I'll take you back several, several decades on that. So <clears throat> when I came through, and the town itself is still fairly small, the community town. Uh, but when I came through, we had one red light. And so I think we're up to four now. So we're, we're a big city, big city suburb here. Uh, the community itself has grown. Uh, our district is where we pull all of our kids. It's 177 square miles of our just our district. So the town itself is probably sitting in about a square mile area. So the rest of the surrounding areas is where our kids come from. Um, <clears throat> I, I think the community, you just have to kind of know the expectations of the community uh, before you try to look at changing things. Because there, there's, there's always, you're not going to please everybody. We all know this. But there's things that the way you sell it and the way you talk about it will help you get to where you need to go. Uh, our community is very supportive, um, whether it be a band, whether it be uh, UL sports or UL academics or, or whatever we're trying to do. We just, and it's like I talk to our, our principals all the time, especially principals that are maybe not from here. I said, first and foremost, what you've got to do, you, you've got to buy in. You've got to completely buy into where you are. Secondly, you've got to learn the, the community. You've got to learn what's going to be, what kids are coming to you, what their parents and grandparents believe in. Uh, if you can do that, then you'll be very successful. Very good. Yeah, I'm, th I'm thinking of kind of when you're, when you're sharing this, I keep thinking of the importance of local control. You know, I, I think there it is so, I was a trustee for a long time in this really small district and, and it's easy to see how we need some things that to be standard across the state, but the beauty of having the local control and the community speaking up for what they want and then blending that, right? Because I think sometimes there's that, I think there's a quote that I want you to grow up. I want you to make lots of money, but I want you to come back home to me. Like, and I, I have a bunch of children and I'm like, uh, -huh, do I really want them to come back? But then when they start having children, you do want to be, you do want your, your, your children, your family to be close. And I read another statistic that I think it's more than 40% of students move back to their area. And our our communities, do they have the structure, infrastructure, the the, the jobs, you know, to to actually sustain that? So I it sounds like your district does. It sounds like that that's kind of a thread throughout where students will feel comfortable going far away and then coming back. Um, but what do you have to say on the whole idea of local control and the importance of that? We're in a legislative session. Uh, this will air probably in a couple of weeks, so we'll still be in session. And um, there's money that can come back to schools. I've heard there's quite a bit that we could put back into schools. Um, what's something that would keep you, you know, keeping your district unique and the local control, but that would be special for y'all? Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. First and foremost, I, I agree with you. I think if you don't have local control, then we have to ask ourselves, what are we doing? Uh, so if we're going to be dependent upon a group of either legislators or a panel or whatever at the state level to decide exactly day in, day out what we're going to do, I think we're going to fail that miserably, just to be honest, because what works in the Austin surrounding area is not necessarily going to work up here, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, local control is crucial. Um, our board feels that my board members feel the same way. And, and that's what we we start looking at in board meetings and different things is, and the question always arises a lot of times with our attorney, uh, we still have the local control to do this. And of course the attorney, very versed on the law, uh, will say, yes, you do. Uh, most of the time, I, I don't think I've ever heard them say, no, you don't. 
So one of the blessed things about being in this state is local control is, is still very important. And it's a, a way of governing that we must have. And if we didn't have it, uh, chaos pandemonium, I guess you, you would say. One of the things from the legislature, yes, I, I agree with Green that they, they're key, they keep telling us they've got all this money. They got all this bundle of money and they're, they're gonna spend it on education. But um, call me a pragmatist, I've heard that before. Right. <laughs> before. And, yeah. so, and so, and I'm not trying to get into the political piece. That's trust me. I've got way too many issues to even think about that piece right now. But if they would, if they would start by actually inquiring with the people that are in the shoes that are actually doing the work mm-hmm. would be helpful. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, if you, if you go to the doctor and you don't get a report you like, you're not going to immediately get a second opinion from a plumber. You're going to go to another doctor. So if they would take educated people, and there's a lot of educated, even superintendents that are retired that would happily, happily sit on these committees, give their input to see what's going on and how it, how it really works. I think they would get closer with the, from a political standpoint, they would get closer with their constituents because educators make up a big pool of constituents. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, that, that's my soapbox for the day. Uh, if they would just reach out a little bit and have a little more faith in asking our opinion and don't just ask us just to hear us talk, actually mm-hmm. listen to it and then process it and then make decisions. Mm-hmm. That'd be helpful. Mm-hmm. And I imagine that's, I mean, that's, we've talked to a lot of districts around fu- funding and that's a, that's a challenging situation. What, what, what do y'all, uh, you know, let's say you don't get the funding that you, you want. What do y'all do, uh, outside the box kind of ways to, to get funding, or if you can't, if you just can't get funding, what are some, some ways that y'all kind of make adjustments to, to keep, keep moving forward? Well, it, needs assessments. We start with a needs assessment, which basically is every year. And we look at our needs assessment and then we try to match that up with what we basically can count on from our, from our revenue sources. I'm going to answer your other revenue here in just a second. Um, so what we try to do sometimes is, is fit the old adage, you try to fit that square peg in that round hole, which is not successful a lot. So a lot of times things have to get cut if we can't fund them correctly. Uh, one of the things also that we look at is everything we do is data-driven and based upon the students' needs. What, are, what is the best thing in our professional opinions that our students needs to become more successful in whatever they're doing school-related? The other, the other thing is our, our community, our taxpayers, our tax base, uh, kudos to them. They, they, we, we run, we probably are about 99% on our tax rate every year, which means 99% of our, our tax people pay their taxes when they're supposed to. Uh, so we're blessed with that. Uh, secondly, we also have a virtual school. And so uh, in our brick and mortar school, which is my 177 square mile district, there's about 5,000 kids and that's pre-K through 12. And so we've got a virtual school that basically services kids in Texas, and there's 17,500 in that one. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a large virtual school. Uh, We started this uh, initially because a lot of times we figure out there's kids that come through that maybe the traditional brick and mortar setting is not there. That's not for them. Uh, And so what we started seeing is what can we do to help these kids from just dropping out? Because, you know, when they get to a certain age and they get mad at their English teacher, They'll just say, hey, I'm going to draw myself, I'm going to drop out. And so what we tried to do is say, look, explain the importance 
to them, if, if at a minimum, nothing else, you need that high school diploma. You've got to have that high school diploma. Uh, so virtual school kind of came around. We were lucky to be one of the, I think four, there's four or five districts in the state of Texas that can have a virtual like we have. Uh, we just have grown and we're the biggest, we're the largest. Wow. That, yeah, that's really Congratulations. Good. That's, I mean, yeah. I, I know, we know from the university standpoint that some students thrived working virtually. Others didn't, of course, but, but there are some students that really, I mean, they, there, I have a student that their GPA increased so much that it changed. They weren't even going to go to college, but then when they had some, a little bit of autonomy and not in the classroom, um, peer pressures and all kinds of different things played into the, the, the reasons why the classroom wasn't the best situation for the student, but now they're going to college. And it's a success story that I don't think we talk enough about that because uh, no one liked the global pandemic <laughs> we experienced, but, but virtual school is important. So congratulations. Um, well, that well, is thank you. Yeah. really Someday, impressive. I will. Some days I will take the congratulations. Some days it's kicking, kicking the pants. Yeah. <laughs> 17,500 kids, a lot of kids. So it is. one of the other things I wanted to add is, is we, there's not that we still have a type of kid, even from 35 years ago when I came through that, that is not interested in college and every high school is going to have these, these subset of kids. And so I always tell this story to my high school counselors, junior high counselors and principals every year. I said, look, if we walk through this building on the very first day of school in August and I had a clipboard and a pen, I can pretty much, without knowing the kids, I can pretty much write down descriptors of the kids that I already know are going to go to a four-year university. Those kids, those kids are just different. Our job for those kids is get them what they need and then get out of their way. They're motivated. They're going to go. They're going to be successful. We've got to worry about the other 75% of the kids because out of that 75%, you're going to get another 25% that have been kind of pushed toward college. They make it a semester, they may make it a year. And then here they are again with nothing to show. We've got to do a better job in public schools uh, of getting kids to work with these right here. We've got to train them into these, like we talked about, skilled labor positions. Uh, what really, really kind of uh, concreted for me is watching a school being built and seeing the delays and the six months behind and this, that, and the other, which causes chain reaction issues because they didn't have enough skilled labor folks to work. And so we as a public school, as a representative of a public school, and we in the state of Texas for sure, need to do a better job of making sure that we, have, when we graduate a kid on a Friday, they've got their pass set on that next month to go into the apprentice program or whatever it is. So we've got to do a better job. We do, that, that makes me, my heart sing as a mama. I have many boys and some of them don't want to go to school and some of them have already graduated and work on other degrees and I love all of my boys the same you know they're all special they're all wonderful they're all unique and I do think we 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 have got to do a better job of showing students that that going to college if you decide not to go to the university or you do a two-year or you do a trade or whatever that's not plan b that might have been your plan a all along and we need to celebrate that um it's there's no reason for us to make a bunch of robots we're humans and we do need people in all spaces and many times those those students that go right to a, a degree uh, right to a, a career will make more than some of us that are in education so it's it's about doing something that you actually love and feeling like you're contributing to society in whatever way that you want to so i I love that you said that. 
I know we're probably running short on time and Gary's going to want to ask a final question. So I'm going to squeeze one more in. You yeah. kind of mentioned this already, but what would be your big ask and your big dream for public ed? And, and I know you mentioned that this about wanting where you want your students to be, but you want to add on more of that or go a different direction? Your big wish yeah. if you had. A yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's an easy one for me. So and it's going to it's going to be off of what we just talked about. If 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 our state government officials, TEA, would allow us to, and here's the concept that I want to bring up, if because I know a lot of folks in different trades, and so the hang-up with having, say, you got a, a plumber or an electrician or whatever that's just retired, they may still want to do something, but if they don't have a four-year bachelor's degree, we can't hire them. If they would give us some latitude and use their years of experience to come in, teach a couple classes, to get the foundational concrete things for these kids. Because right now we're having to wait until the kid gets to a two-year school or, or apprentice program. We could get a, ahead of the game if they would have let us do that. They just haven't got to that point yet. Uh, so that would be my wish. Give us some latitude. That's perfect. I, I love it. Yeah, same here. And on that note, it, it just seems like, I mean, kind of a, a general underlying theme in today's podcast seems like begin with the end in mind, right? So you're thinking about where are you going to go, whether you, if you have a job now, what happens next? If you're finishing your schooling, what's going to happen next? If you're hiring people, what, like there's so many different paths to get there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whether it be online learning or in-person learning or whatever it may be, I mean, everybody's different, but I, I like the fact that because you hear about people going to college and, you know, let's say they major in basket weaving or whatever, and they get out <laughs> and they're like, Hey, I can't find a job in basket weaving. Well, yeah. <laughs> so you got to start with the end in mind. I, I, I like that. There's an underlying theme there. Um, okay. So final question before we, before we close out here, this is uh, the shout out question. We, I called it ice bucket challenge question in the past, but <laughs> so if you're going to have uh, another, if you're going to recommend another leader in education, could be a superintendent, could be a board member, could be anybody, anybody. Who do you think should come on the podcast and share their story? Wow, that's a, that's a large number of people that I could. Uh, <laughs> I, I would I would maybe get the the uh, perspective maybe from a, a board member, maybe the board president. Um, like I said, I could send you a list, very long list, my friend, on that one. Uh, but I would maybe the perspective of the board member especially one, and I could give you one that keeps up with what's going on legislatively, uh, very much understands the local control and very much mm -hmm. understands the differences, like we just talked about, between four-year kids in college to a career versus a kid coming out of high school, maybe hitting a tech school and going to work. Very, And this is an educator. He's also an Aggie, by the way. I was going to just say, maybe we could get yeah. someone that's not an Aggie, hey, you know, no, Aggie feel... an Aggie list of people. Here's, I, I, I like Green, it. Green, yeah. Green, Green, here's my here's my issue with that. Uh, when I when I hire people, when I go to the doctor, when I go to the eye doctor, I look, I research. I already knew <laughs> Mr. Dennis was an Aggie. I research <laughs> and that's how I pick my people. Because I understand what that means anyway. <laughs> but my CFO, which is probably the best CFO in America, uh, she's an Aggie. I'm up board president is Nagy. So we've got them all around us. So I try to I answer. love it. No, no worries. You know, I, I have a thing for women in leadership. And so I always, you know, if I have the opportunity, then I want, I, I definitely will prefer if I can get a woman to do something for sure. Or, you know, I'm sure we have those things. Um, I appreciate that. And we would love to interview your board president or who I'm assuming that was who you mentioned. But if, but if not, you can send us 
the um in the, the when they understand the local piece and then they really work with the with the superintendent to make sure you get to do what you want to do and don't get down into the weeds i love hearing how they do that because i think there's a really big difference between governance and leadership and mm -hmm. i think sometimes leaders want to take their leadership role and then micromanage a superintendent and that was something i was very cognizant of when i was a trustee just we hired the superintendent and he did a really good job so kind of stay out of the way and just govern. So if you've got some people like that, I'd, lo I'd love to hear how they do it. Absolutely. I'd be happy to share those. Awesome. Well, I know we're running short on time. I just want to thank you for coming on the podcast today, Mr. Martin. And thank you, Corinne. Um, but before we close out, I want to give a final shout out to our sponsor, I Do Impact, that's giving hundreds of millions of dollars in funding to school districts around te Texas, unrestricted funds, uh, no out-of-pocket to the district. It's really an innovative solution if your district needs funding. So reach out to Ideal Impact. And for those of y'all that have been tuning in, stay tuned for future episodes of the Educational Leadership Podcast.